of your word and then give me the ability to pull up the unsearchable riches of the kingdom and in the end thereof we'll be mindful of all that you've done and all that you said we'll give you the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus name we pray and all God's children said amen, amen. and amen while you're standing, if you open your Bibles with me to the Old Testament, to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 3, there are five verses of scripture there, Joshua 3. And again, if you can help me by placing your bag on the ground, uh, somebody can sit next to you. <clears throat> again, I particularly want to thank Pastor Brown and Reverend Blackburn for your work with the children in the youth ministry. Thank you guys so much. Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. If you got it, holler. I got it. Amen. The word of the Lord. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from the Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel, and they lodged there before they crossed over. And so it was after three days that the officers, they went through the camp. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priest, and the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place. And go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about a thousand cubits by measure. That's a half a mile. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go. For you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And then Joshua spoke to the priest saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people. And all God's children said, Amen. Look at your neighbor today in the eye. Tell them neighbor. neighbor. Oh neighbor. On the last sermon, in this location, Pastor wants to talk to you about how to handle the transitions of life. You may be seated. How to handle the transitions of life. In many ways, family, this text today deals with the handling of difficult times in our lives. The transitions of life can be both worrisome, painful, deadly, discouraging, and filled with despair. So it behooves the child of God to know just what to do when they come to their own Jordan rivers in life. 
New beginnings, today we've come to another Jordan River experience. And it's time to move from this place and get to the location where God has ordered us to dwell. This is transition time once again. In fact, if you are a member here, you understand transitions fully well. For in our whole journey, it's been filled with swift transitions from schools, hotels, public parks, community centers, beauty salons, and borrowed facilities. We've had transitions in leadership, membership, and even fellowship. And these transitions have driven some to quit, to give up, to fall by the wayside. And most of the times, just simply doubt. Well, why, Pastor? Because the transitions of life are difficult for people to deal with. Somebody looking at me right now is going through a transition this morning. You getting older, and your body is reminding you. Y'all gonna help me? You never been this way before, and you're wondering, how do I handle the transitions of life. Somebody here is about to say goodbye to a parent. And you're wondering, how do I do this? How can I live without my mama or my daddy? Life is filled with swift transitions. Somebody here is lonely. And the one you once loved is no longer here. And the one you want to love don't even care. Life has dealt you a raw blow, and how do you handle the new transitions in life? Somebody else is looking for work, looking for a home, looking for independence, looking for answers for the transitions of life because the transitions themselves are whooping up on you. Well, this morning's text has the answer for people who are in transition. This text teaches the child of God how to handle the Jordan rivers of life when we are faced with the difficulty of transitioning from one place to another. The word of God in itself is amazing for it reveals to us how God has already gone ahead of you and has answered your questions before you even endure transitions. Can I open the text for you? The Israelites had followed Moses and the Lord for 40 years in the wilderness. Their families were born out there. Their children went to school out there. Their parents were buried out there. They were married out there, celebrated birthdays out there, had service in the desert, ate supper in the desert, had breakfast and lunch in the desert. And now as a result of this difficulty, they had developed a wandering mentality. But now it was time to move again. It was another transition in life. And when Moses, their leader, left, God then called Joshua 
to rise up and take them to a new location. Joshua became their new leader and it was the first assignment he had been given as the new leader of this wandering congregation. Can I talk to you today? Can I tell you that leadership for people who are in transition is a hard leadership? It's a hard thing to handle when new leadership comes on the scene. It's a hard thing to handle when leaders tell you it's time to move. In fact, most of the time, new leaders don't do things like the old ones did. New leadership means you got to shift from the way you used to do things and adapt to a new modality of fellowship. Here it is. It's a hard thing to lead people who have made up their minds they don't want to be led. It's a hard thing when you want Moses, but your name is Joshua. Moses had nothing but trouble in the wilderness with the Israelites. And now it was Joshua's turn to give it a try. But nevertheless, when Joshua got the call, the text says he moved out with urgency and with the Lord's command. And he started out toward the new destination. This journey, beloved, was a journey of faith with Joshua. He had never been this way before. This journey of faith with Joshua lets me know that he had never led this many people before. This journey was a journey of faith with Joshua, and he had never been responsible for this many lives before, five million people. However, he was convinced that he had heard from the Lord and that this was the right thing to do. I notice, brothers and sisters, it's a good thing to know when God is on your side. And when it's time for a new transition, it's a good thing to know that you've heard from the Lord and he's directed your path. Joshua had a word from the Lord. And in this text, we get to examine how he handles the transitions in his life and in the life of others. There are three things we can learn today. Somebody holler three of them. Number one, we're going to look at Joshua's leadership. Number two, Joshua's load. And number three, Joshua's lesson. Joshua's leadership, Joshua's load, and Joshua's lesson. Let's learn from the text of how to cross the Jordan rivers of life. Point number one, Joshua's leadership. The text says, then Joshua. He rose early. Somebody holler early. In the morning, and he set out from the acacia grove. Beloved, when we come here, we see several things in this one sentence. Number one, we see that following the Lord requires early morning direction. Joshua's up before the crack of dawn, preparing the people to relocate. Joshua represents a leader in the text who's not lazy. You don't catch him sleeping in. But he's an early riser who is prepared for the events of the day. And as a leader, he's prepared and motivated to serve his people. He had an early morning meeting with the master. Got his agenda, 
And then all the people knew what it was. They were moving today and everybody was awake to follow him to the new location. Can I turn the light on right here? That this could have been an easy task or rather could not have been an easy task for there were millions of them in the desert. And I'm sure that somebody in the crowd had an attitude about moving. Some, you can't please everybody. Come on, y'all. So tell them everybody ain't going to follow you. Everybody. Somebody was going to be upset that things was about to be different. Somebody was not going to cooperate. Somebody was going to give somebody else a hard time about moving. Why? Can I tell you why? It's the nature of people to rebel against leadership. Y'all catch that? Joshua said, go straight. Somebody say, turn here. Joshua said, get up, it's time to go. Somebody say, I want to sleep in. Joshua says no, and somebody says yes. Why, leadership or leading people is hard. It's not for sissies, let me tell you that. Or crybabies. Can I say some more? Nevertheless, we can learn from his leadership in this text that he pressed on with God's plan in spite of opposition. New beginnings, if God tells you to do something, you got to press on in spite of the opposition. God has given us a command to go over to the other side. The Bible says, and they came to the Jordan. You see that right there? And he and all the children of Israel, they lodged there before they crossed over. Now don't read this too fast because this one sentence is loaded. Here it is. The transition calls for Joshua to lead them, stay with me, to a dangerous area. The transition called for Joshua to lead them from a place of familiarity and comfort to a place of difficulty. The transition called for Joshua to lead them to the place where the Lord had directed him. The Lord directed him to take them into the eye of danger. Why do you say that, Pastor? The Jordan River was dangerous to live next to and even more dangerous to attempt to cross. See, the river was at flood time during this text. And according to historians, her banks were always full from the rainy seasons. So the Jordan had underlying currents that could drag you under and do damage to your life at a moment's notice. Here it is. The Jordan River was unpredictable, unreliable, unforgiving, and impenetrable. And Joshua led the children there to camp for three days. And for three days, they were to face the nature of their obstacle. Do I got any listeners in here? Imagine telling them mamas and daddies, bring your baby right here to the banks of the Jordan. We gonna cross it in a little while. Okay, let me say it this way. For three days, they played in front of danger. For three days, they stared in the face 
of trouble. They saw the Jordan in the morning. They saw it at noon and they listened to it at night. And the truth of what could happen to them was always on their mind. Let me give you the application. I know that sometimes in life that our greatest fears are what the Lord wants us to face. Come on in here. Come on in here. The very thing that you are worried about is the thing he brings directly into your eyes. Oh, cool. Okay, have you ever had to worry about something? A relationship? A financial situation? A physical condition? God brings our fears up close for us to realize, watch this, you got nothing to fear. Did you catch it? Yes. He brings it to you so you can look at it and say, this ain't nothing. That's what God's getting ready to do with the children of Israel. I talked about Joshua's leadership. Let me show you now Joshua's load. Look at his load. The Bible says, verse 2, so it was after three days that the officers, they went through the camp. Verse 3, and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and his priests, the Levites, carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Verse 4, and there shall be a space between you and the ark of about a half a mile, 2,000 cubits. Don't come near to it that you may know the way by which you must go. Here's why. Because you've never traveled this way before. Can I unpack this for us? And Joshua's new leadership responsibility, Joshua has surrounded himself, according to the text, with some men, somebody holler some brothers, some brothers. that can help carry the load. Yeah, ah. Joshua had a great deal to manage. He had millions of lives that he was responsible for. So this load of responsibility was no ordinary load. Look at your neighbor and tell him, my load ain't your load. And Joshua needed some help if he was going to lead well in this season of transition. Are you listening? And so it was, just like Moses, Joshua had trusted men that could walk with him in this tough situation. Every man who don't got a friend is a man in trouble. Brothers, you need a brother. Every woman that don't have a sister is a sister that's in trouble. Sisters, you need a sister. I just dropped that in there. Can I say some more? Chapter 2 declares that Joshua, before he even gets here, he has sent spies into the land of Jericho to see what they could find out about the area. And while the spies were across the Jordan, Joshua now is getting the people ready to move. So after three days, the spies came back with a good report and it was time 
for the transition. Y'all listening? So when Joshua's men got the word from their leader, they knew exactly what time it was and what it was they needed to do. When Joshua's men got the word, they moved out, brothers, with confidence. Can I say some more? I like brothers with confidence. Brothers with cowardice slow you down. Because they always got a thousand questions. They're not wanting answers, they're wanting to stall. A man got to surround himself with men who are confident. If you are surrounding yourself with men who are cowards, cut them loose. Can I tell you why? You will never do the miraculous with somebody who's a coward. Because they will always be looking for the logical when God has called you to operate in the supernatural. Faith and logic don't go together. If you can do it by logic, God probably ain't called you to do it. Everything that God calls you to do, you have to do in the supernatural. How did I get out there? Can I say some more? These men were with Joshua, knowing that God is with you and is asking us to do something that's bigger than us. And as a result, what you see suddenly in the text is that these brothers are on one accord. Somebody holler at me, they got the same mind. They were military minded and they knew they could trust in the word of the Lord. So watch this. They commanded the people. Somebody missed me. It wasn't Joshua running through the millions telling them, get in line. We getting ready to move. It was the soldiers that went and woke up their families commanded the people to get ready and listen what they said when y'all see the ark coming through the camp get up gird your lungs and fall in line can I, can I, can I unpack that right there this is what we need today in the body of Christ brothers and sisters people that can help follow leadership and give leadership we need people that will be stand up brothers and sisters and help God's people here it is get to the location where God wants them to be Ah, too many times in the church we have the crab in the barrel mentality God's trying to take everybody to the next level in their relationship but you got some folks Pulling them down with drama, unbelief. They just want to stay in the pitiful situation at the end. Don't want to experience God. Are you with me here? But what I like about this text, these leaders, these brothers, they go rally to wake everybody up to follow instruction, to fall in line. These men were men that knew how to follow leadership. And then they knew how to lead. You know, it's impossible for lead if you ain't to lead if you ain't never learned how to follow. These men were men that were not afraid of real brotherhood. 
they weren't tripping over egos. These men were men that respected leadership and respected one another. These men were men with a single vision for the Lord. They were all saying the same thing. When the Ark of the Covenant came through the camp, they all had the same message. Nobody said, well, what I heard is they want you to follow, but, you know. Not these men. They had each other's back. And they all said the same thing. I ain't talking about nobody in here. I'm just talking about what I'm talking about. You know what I like about the text? They told them, stop what you're doing when you see the ark come through the camp. Can I spend some time right here? Y'all ain't mad, is y'all? What is this ark of the covenant? Well, the ark of the covenant was a coffin that was developed by a man named Bezalel. God told him to prepare this 45-inch wooden box that was 27 by 27. The ark was made of acacia wood that was overlaid with gold. It had four rings on top of the box, and in the ring it had two poles. The poles were there so that the priests could carry the box. The ark itself was said to have been the dwelling place of God. And on the top of it, of the ark, it was called the mercy seat. Are you with me here? And God was said to have sat on the mercy seat. The, the Israelites believed that the ark of the covenant represented God's throne. On the top of the throne, they had a gold mount molding crown on the top of the edge. And on the crown, they had two angels that faced each other with their wings covering their eyes, two wings covering their feet, and two wings exhorted as if they were flying. Right. These were the angels that are said to meet with God at the mercy seat. Are you with me here? Yeah. Now, inside of the ark, it had some very special components. In the ark were the Ten Commandments. Right where he had written down the laws and gave to Moses. Are you listening? Inside the ark was a long shepherd stick that was said to have been the rod of Aaron that budded in a contest to determine which priest was the Lord's priest. Are you listening? The third article in the ark was a, a golden bowl of manna. It was the, the, the food that God fed the children as they walked 40 years in the wilderness. Yes, sir. Ah, can I say some more? Yeah. Each one of these articles were miraculous works of God that were kept in the throne of God as a reminder to the children of God. Every time they saw it move, they saw God move. Yes, sir. So what they say to them as the ark is coming through the camp, when you see God move and stop, And then get behind it. Can I say some more? Verse 4 says, and you shall keep a space between you and it. About 2,000 cubits or a half a mile. Don't come near it that you may know, yeah, the which way to go. 
because you ain't been in this direction before. Uh, the leader said right here, brothers and sisters, keep your distance between yourself and the ark. Can, can I say more? Distance was needed because the ark was the place where God dwelled. And anyone not in the priesthood was not able to enter the presence of the ark. The punishment for touching the ark was death right on the spot. And God had a reputation of killing people that got over familiar with him. I'm preaching up here. Y'all going to help me? Why? The Lord is holy. And his holiness demands reverence. I'm concerned about some of y'all and your irreverence for God, even in the house of God. You think it's cute to cuss while you're teaching or while you're preaching or while you're serving. You think it's cute to betray people or misbehave with God's people. You have forgotten the holiness of God. God said, check yourself before I check you. It's a holy thing to be in the presence of a holy God. Besides that, where can you go that God ain't there? Where do you keep this idea that you can live any kind of way you want to live and still like do God like it's all good? God ain't never been down with your carnality. Knock it off. Holiness is the standard. It ain't the option. And if I see you in leadership getting lower with the standard, I'm going to ask you to sit down. Why? Because holiness is important to God. And I want to make sure that we're in line for the blessing. Not because there's sin in the camp. Now I'm pastoring. Tell somebody he's pastoring right there. The people were also ordered. Watch this. Not only stay behind the ark, stay behind the priests. Don't read that too fast. I know you got more education than some of the preachers. That don't mean you can get ahead of the line. Why God has an order in his house. He has an order by which the blessing flows. Are you with me here? Why, Pastor, do I have to stay behind them? They're men just like me. Yeah, but they're men under holy orders. Notice, they are the only ones that have the authority to carry the ark. And the other men came into that covenant, was killed. God has set them apart. I know you might not like Wilson. You don't like the way I dress. You don't like a lot of things. That's okay. God like me. Can I just keep it real 100 as the young people say? As much as you don't like me, some days I kind of, you know. Don't like me. I can't help it. It's where I'm from. It's where I'm from. Some of you make it hard to carry your problems before the throne. But I'm under orders. To stay close to the ark. And if I'm not close to the ark, somebody ain't protecting you. Come on, Pastor. 
Lord, keep me out of my flesh. I don't want to do that. When the Ark of the Covenant moves through the books, through the book, through the camps, stay behind it. Stay behind it. Don't get in the way of the priests or the Levites. <coughs> because the word of God is holy. The ark is also a picture of the scriptures, you guys. Did you catch that? It's a picture of the text. When the people of God follow behind the word of God, here it is, miracles can take place. Crossing the Jordan was going to be a miracle. When the people of God follow behind the word of God, divine intervention can take place. When the people of God follow behind the word of God, the Lord can do great things in their lives. Uh, when the people of God follow behind the word of God, God gives wisdom to their face in the times of danger. When the people of God follow behind the word of God, they can know when to walk and when not to walk. When the people of God follow behind the word of God, they can rest in the presence of God. When the people of God follow behind the word of God, they don't have to make mistakes and blunders in life. Why? Because the word will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. If you stay behind the word, you'll quit making so many foolish mistakes. When the people of God follow behind the word of God, being carried by the man of God, the body of Christ is always in order. Can I get a witness? In order to handle the transitions of life, you must stay behind the word of God. That's so very important. Let me say it again. In order to handle the transitions of life, you must, say it with me, stay behind the word of God. Okay, I got to get out of here. I talked to you about Joshua's leadership. I've talked to you about Joshua's load. Let me land the plane dealing with Joshua's lesson. Anybody mad? I love y'all for that. Verse 5, my last verse. Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves. For tomorrow, the Lord, that's the word Yahweh in the Hebrew, self-existing one. Tomorrow, God is going to do wonders among you. Let this word bless you today. When you come to this portion of the text, beloved, we get to see what it looks like for the people of God to be called into consecration. You catch it? Let me explain. Joshua commanded the people to consecrate and to purify themselves because the journey was a holy journey. Consecration was needed because their God had set them apart for such a time as this. Consecration was needed because God was going to do wonders among them. 
here it is. It's always good for the people of God to consecrate themselves before the Lord and to present themselves holy before his presence. Here's what this looks like. Forgiving one another. I just lost a whole lot of y'all right there. Because somebody talking about, I forgive, but I don't forget. That ain't what that means. Can I give you the rest of the list? Forgiving one another. Number two, loving one another. That's unconditional. Number three, putting away their idols. Those special things you worship. And then worshiping the true God of heaven and earth. The Bible said that then after Joshua spoke to the people, he spoke to the priests. He said to them, now take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people. Now notice this. The priests were also to be consecrated. Did you catch it? The preacher didn't get a pass. Stay with me here. The preacher could not be angry and hating somebody. Had to love everybody. Come on, y'all. Y'all with me here? Had to be a worshiper himself. Can, Can I say some more? They had to separate themselves for the work of the ministry and lead the people before God. See, the task of handling the ark was the job of the priest, and anybody cannot just handle the ark. So the Lord had ordered that it be so. They be consecrated too. This task was a holy task. This task was not to be handled lightly. You couldn't be partially committed or committed in 80% of your life and 20% you're still working on. No! Where do you get that? The bar ain't lower because you got a call. The bar gets higher. Not only were they to take it up, they were to transport it before the people. Why, 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 Pastor? They were God's representatives before the people. I wish y'all could feel the weight of that. They had leadership expectations. And they were to walk, guys, in a certain way. This wasn't something they could just take off today. I don't feel like being a preacher. (laughs) This ain't that kind of call. I can't wake up because somebody didn't cuss me out and say I quit. Or because somebody didn't want to follow. Because somebody posted something about you. Come on. They were to carry themselves a certain way, the priests. They were to handle the ark in a certain way. They were God's men who God chose to represent him before God's people. That means something. The second lesson we see in this text is one of sacrificial living. And I'll show you and I'll quit. Everyone was to lay their lives on the line. This transition was for the whole community. 
everybody was heading toward the dangerous Jordan, Reverend Brown, where they were going to wait on God to do something supernatural and phenomenal. The Jordan River represented danger because of its seasonal flooding, as I mentioned earlier, and its dangerous mudslides. The Jordan River represented trouble because it was not safe to venture into these deep waters. The Jordan River represented crisis and hardship because once you were in there, there was no way to escape. When I think about new beginnings in our transition, I see the new location as a type of Jordan River. It's a place where crime is at an all-time high. Come on, holler commitment. It's a place where drugs are rampant. Holler commitment. It's a place where people are in need. Holler commitment. It's a place where the majority of the folks in that zip code live under the poverty line. Come on, holler commitment. It's a place where the church is needed. It's a place where the waters of turmoil are high. The mud banks of depravity are sliding. The raging currents of depression are at work. The deceptive pace of the river looks calm, but under the surface, danger is brewing. And on top of all of that, we got our women, we got our babies, we got our grandchildren all walking with us in this church and in this journey. Everybody has got to be committed and risen to the standard of holiness and consecrated so that God may be glorified. No plane at this location. Take it serious. Take your call to leadership serious. Take your membership serious. Take your attendance for Bible study serious. Don't just be a Sunday goer from 10 to 12. That's not serious. It's fan-like, but it ain't serious. You know the difference between a fan and a player? Players come to practice, fans show up at game time. have positions. And sometimes they don't play what they like to play, but they own the team. Positions denote I got a job in my local church. Fans just show up and tip the play they like on Sunday morning. Where we going? We don't need no fans. We need some brothers and sisters in uniform. Somebody for special teams. Somebody for offense. Somebody for defense. Somebody who just packs people up when they come in wounded. They call them trainers. Are you listening here? I don't know how I got out there, but it felt good. Let me land the plane. I was wrestling with this text. Talking to the Lord about this transition. I hope y'all do know I'm doing my best. But it's hard. It's hard leading a 21st century church with a wandering mentality. It's hard in a dark and dying day to be trying to listen to the voice of God in a world of voices. So as I'm looking at the word in the text, 
knowing the circumstances and situations where I'm going, I had to talk with the Lord and ask him, God, if we make this move, are you going with us? And after reading the text, I heard the Lord tell Joshua, this day, I'm going to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know, as I was with Moses, I'll also be with you. And upon hearing those words, I got some strength in my back. Yeah. My nerves became calm. And my courage began to rise. And I can see how they made it across the Jordan. I can see Billings that they trusted in the word of the Lord. They followed God, the Father's leadership. And they stayed behind the ark. And because they stayed behind the ark, God did what he said he would do. What's that, Pastor? He worked a miracle and took them across on dry ground. Here it is. When you read the rest of the story, the miracle didn't happen until they stepped down in the Jordan. The miracle didn't happen until they got into the trouble. The miracle didn't happen until they stepped out in faith. Wasn't nothing logical about this. The miracle didn't happen until they touched deep water. The miracle didn't happen until they sacrificed all they had and depended on the Lord. Some of us want the miracle without the sacrifice. Some of us want the miracle, but we don't want to step in a dangerous place. <laughs> I can't make it live no other way, so let me land the plane. Put your seats in the upright position. <laughs> Can I tell you that your miracle won't happen until you first follow behind the word? Your miracle won't happen until you go down and face your Jordan, whatever that fear is. Your miracle won't happen until you first step out in faith. Andrea, darling, your miracle won't happen until you go down in, in obedience. Your miracle won't happen until you go down in prayer. Your miracle won't happen until you have first sacrificed everything. Your miracle won't happen until you trust the Lord completely. Can I turn the light on? When you do this, the currents in your Jordan will back up. When you do this, the trouble in your life will have to give in to the word of the Lord. When you do this, the crisis of your life will have to submit to the word of God. Have you ever noticed somebody that just moved from crisis to crisis? And they never learn And every time you pick up the phone Oh pastor You know why they live that way They come to the crisis And instead of crying out to the Lord They cry to you Or they cry to something else And that crisis don't change It just move them to the next crisis But when you get to this when you do this, the word of God will show you 
how to cross the Jordans of your life. Can I give you good news? Yeah. I know y'all need it. You say, good, get ready, man. Sit down, quit. Can I give you the good news? I shouted on this for four days in this text, right? This one piece. If God leads you to a Jordan, he's leading you to cross it. That's worth you knowing why you got trouble. If God leads you to the trouble, he's leading you to cross it. If God leads you to a Jordan, he has a word to show you what to do. If God is leading you to a Jordan, he's got the power to make the water behave. <laughs> uh, grandma's church mama would be running around the building right now. If God is leading you to a Jordan, he has the authority to get you to dry ground. If God is leading you to a Jordan, he'll give you the faith to step into the deep. If God is leading you to a Jordan, he intends to work everything out to see you get across. Somebody who believes, say, I believe. I got to leave you now, but I'm reminded of another man that has some Jordans to cross. Jesus had a few Jordans in his life. He came down from glory and had to face a dark and dying world. That was a type of Jordan River. And in his life, he faced trial after trial. As a baby, he had a hit out on his life. Had to live as a baby as Jerusalem's most wanted. Had to face the Jordans in his life. Was born a stepson to one man. Are you listening here? Considered to be a bastard child by many. All of his life, he faced ridicule and folks talking about him. Had to live his life focused on the joy. And even after God raised him and called him and inaugurated him to ministry, his first act of spiritual formation was to face the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. Why are you crying about your Jordan? His first sermon in his hometown, they got so mad at him, they ran him out of church. Tried to push him over a cliff. Had to face his Jordan. Can I preach it all? Can I preach it all? All of his earthly ministry, three years, folks talked about it. Accused it. Crowds wanted to use it. Didn't want his message, only wanted his power. Had to face the Jordans every day of his life. And if that wasn't enough, at the end of his public ministry, he had to face the greatest Jordan of all, a cross called Calvary. Come go with me to the cross. Can't you see the winds of, of hell raging against him? Nails driven in his hand. A crown of thorns pressed in his bow. No friends there at the dusty banks of Calvary. He's facing persecution all by himself, staring at the river Jordans of life. But I can hear him say, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. I'm going to step out in faith and face this Jordan that you gave me. 
Can I close it right here? He died. Didn't he die? He died. Didn't he die? But early, I said early, Sunday morning, with all power of the heaven and earth in his hand, God the Father let him cross over the difficult Jordan of the grave. Didn't he cross over? And now he sits at the right hand of God with all power of heaven and earth in his hand. Calling Wilson, come on son, step into the deep. I got you. I'm going to make it dry on the other side. Come on, follow me. Follow me, son. I got you. Is there anybody here? Hear the voice of glory calling you to come out into the deep water. Calling you to come forward and experience all that God has for you. I'm closing now. But that great hymn of the church said, I'm going, I'm going up beyond it. Going up beyond it to be with my Lord. Is there anybody here on your way up yonder? Don't fool me now. Is there anybody here know that it's going to take something to go up yonder. Trials and tribulations are facing us, but I'm on my way. I'm through preaching here, but there's a song ringing in my ear. Trouble in my way. I gotta cry sometimes. Oh, so much trouble. I gotta cry I lay, awake at night. I lay awake at night, but that's alright. Oh, I surrender. 
teaching and preaching church and that means we believe in preaching through the entire book of the Bible mm -hmm. books and chapters at a time. Family this morning we are traveling through the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel and we invite you to join with us on the Bible bus we do believe in standing in honor of God's holy word so if you are able to stand would you please join us as we read the scripture. I need y'all prayers. I got tweaked my back. So pray for me as I get through it. Amen. First Samuel 16, 1 through 13. That's how you know you get old. You just hurt yourself sitting down. Y'all laughing, but y'all know what I'm talking about. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, for I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I provided myself king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? For if Saul hears it, he'll kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And then invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said, and he went to Bethlehem. 
and the elders of the town trembled at his coming. And they said to him, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. So sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons. And he invited them to the sacrifice. And so it was that when they came, that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, listen to this and remember guys, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab, this is son number two, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither had the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither had the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now David was ruddy, with bright eyes, and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and he went to Ramah. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I want to start today a new series called The Chronicles of David. Part 1, Chosen by God the ministry. The Chronicles of David, chosen by God for the ministry. Family, we now enter into the study of the life of David, who is known in the biblical text as a man who was after God's own heart. And when we arrive here, we have to first stop and look over the biblical canvas to examine what happened to King Saul. The last time we were here, you remember that King Saul had disobeyed the Lord. And because of his disobedience and his unwillingness to trust God, the kingdom had now been taken from him. In other words, God had to get a new man for the ministry of king in Israel. Now, this text is significant because we can learn a great deal about what it means to be called by God and what it means to serve in the role as a leader over God's people. For example, there's no way for us to really understand God's mind and his heart 
when he chooses who he chooses yeah. to work for him. Yeah. In other words, in this text, Brother Alex, he chooses the least of men in the family. Yes. Yes. First he chose a little bitty nation called Israel. Uh -huh. And then he chose a little bitty tribe called Judah. Yeah. And then he chose a little bitty shepherd named Jesse. Uh -huh. And last of all, the last born of his son. Yes. God has a track record of calling people that nobody would call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I look at my own life, I can see the same pattern. Can I call Rose? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mother was born 16 out of 17 kids. She lived in Memphis, Tennessee. Her grandparents were the descendants of slaves. My mother was raised as a little country girl, very poor. She married a young carpenter who was also poor. And when they married, they had a ready-made family. Two girls and one son was already here. I came as my mother's firstborn, but my daddy's fourth child. Are you in here? I was a troubled kid, incarcerated early in life, gang involved, misled. Yeah. And misdirected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But God will call me unto Himself yes, out of all of the children. Uh -huh. Y'all in here now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of seven kids all together, I'm the only one that called to be a pastor. Yeah. He handpicked me to work for Him. I wasn't the best. Uh -huh. I still ain't the brightest. Yeah. I sure wasn't the most qualified. Yeah. But I was his choice. Yeah. Just like David. I had a call on my life. Yeah. And today's text is about ministry. Yes, when God calls you, you got a call on your life. Yeah, yeah. Look at somebody and tell them there's a call on your life too. I pray today that as you listen to this text, you can learn and see how others are looked at in the eyes of God. I pray that as a church, we won't become disqualifiers. That's good, that's good. Can I say that again? I pray that we won't be the one that look at somebody and disqualify them from being used by God. Can I give you the background of the text? Historians tell us that the Lord had instructed Samuel to now go down to the house of Jesse, mm -hmm. which was in Bethlehem, mm -hmm. the house of bread, mm -hmm. and anoint for him Israel's new king. Historians go on to say that Samuel was afraid, and he was afraid because he had just installed the new king. And that he knew that if he went down there, Saul may want to kill him. Right. Story goes on to say that he then goes down anyway in obedience to the Lord and goes to Jesse's house. And he's looking for a king, but he's looking for the wrong man. Right. And as we begin to look at this text and unpack it, that's the narrative I want to work from and dissect for you. Is that okay? Right. I got four quick points and I'll get out of your way. Number one, I want to talk about Samuel's divine assignment. Right. Number two, I want to talk about Samuel's divine actions. Uh -huh. 
And then thirdly, I want to look at Samuel's divine approach. Okay. And then fourthly, close with looking at Samuel's divine assessment. Y'all know I like the word. Can, can I unpack it today? Yes, Samuel's divine assignment. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. God, I miss preaching to y'all. I've been off too long. <laughs> Verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? That's loaded. He says, Seeing that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Get up, fill your horn with oil, and go. Because I'm sending you to Jesse's house, the Bethlehemite. For I provided myself a king from among his sons. Can I unpack it? When we come to this text, we see a divine question and a divine assignment that's asked of God and appointed by God. The question is, for Samuel the prophet, the priest and the judge, Samuel, how long will you mourn for the man that I've rejected. Come on now. In other words, God is saying, quit crying yeah, yeah. over the leader that I don't want to use. Yeah. And according to the previous chapter, Samuel was the one that brought Saul the bad news that God has fired you. Right. And he's taken the kingdom from your hands. But now Samuel is so distraught over God's willingness to remove the kingdom from 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 Saul that he's disturbed and he can't get his life together. Mourning has he been prisoned. Can I talk about that thing? See, sometimes in the life of the child of God, we too can have the same struggle. Don't y'all get mad at me in here. But sometimes we can love the leaders that God has ordained, but when they fail God and they get disciplined by God, we start to behave like Samuel and almost can't get on with life. Because we put too much stock in a man. Ain't no church like, ain't no hurt like church hurt. Amen. A pastor can do something and you'll quit going to church. Yes. Because of mourning. Yes. God had to ask his prophet a question. Man, how long yeah, yeah. are you going to mourn over the one I rejected? Yes. Can I say some more? Yes. This can be fatal in the ministry of the believer. Yes. See, what God has said, he has said. And no mourning for their sin or their ministry position will change what God has done and is doing in their lives. I want to free somebody today that's still struggling with what your first pastor did. I want to free somebody today that can't get over what your second pastor did. I want to turn somebody loose today that can't get over what your third pastor then did. Am I making sense here? Because when you are stuck in mourning, you ain't free to do ministry. But God's got an assignment for Saul even in his mourning. But guess what? He got to quit mourning in order to do what God has ordained him to do. The Lord said, 
I've rejected Saul. I wrote myself a note. Saul knew it. Samuel knew it. And the Lord knew it. But the people yet didn't know it. And the people in Ramah were still thinking that Saul was the king. Are you in here now? Saul was still fronting like he was the one in office. But he had been fired. Come on in here. When he got fired, the anointing was gone. People were looking at him and there was no anointing. But because he was in the office, they thought he was still king. Not only was the anointing gone, but it was gone never to return. Can I say some more? And just like Saul, it is possible that a person may be rejected by God, but still accepted by men. Right, right. But ultimately, judgment was going to come. Can I turn the light on? Samuel in this verse has to come to grips, brothers and sisters, with what Saul has done and what the Lord has said. And he, Samuel has got to be okay with the will of the Lord in spite of what he feels about Saul the man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let me say it another way. But you know that God is still today removing men from families <coughs> who have failed to be godly fathers. God is still removing mothers today who have failed to be godly mothers. God is still removing pastors today who have failed to obey his word. God is still removing deacons today who have failed to be godly servants. God is still removing leaders in the church today who want to do what they want to do instead of what God says he won't do. It's his church. It's his ministry. Where do you get off thinking it's your ministry? And when he remove it, it's gone. It's gone. I'm, I'm, I'm trembling in this text today, brothers and sisters, because we should always remember that God don't need you to do anything. Don't get it twisted like you can't be replaced. Huh? Y'all gonna talk to me? We should always remember that if he lets you do anything for him. Hey, help me, Holy Ghost. Preach it all today. If he lets you do anything for him, it's more than you deserve. Do something with your attitude about I serve when I want to serve. Fool around and get rejected by God. You won't have nobody to do ministry to. Can I turn the light on? Saul didn't deserve to be king. God chose him to be king. But when he disobeyed, his ministry was over. Somebody holler over. So don't mourn too long, family, over what God has rejected. If God told you to let that man go, let him go. 
told you to let that woman go, let her go. Why, he's rejecting her because she won't obey his word. If God told you to let those friends go, let them go. Don't mourn too long over what God has rejected. That's worth you coming today. Can I get on with the text? That's just verse 1. In verse B of part 1, he's verse 1, he says, Now fill up your horn with oil and go. Y'all catch that? Because I'm sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. For I have provided myself oh, hey, a king among his sons. Let me unpack Here we discover that the second part of Samuel's assignment was to prepare for the spiritual work of the ministry. You know it's possible to do ministry without the spirit. It's possible. And here, Samuel has got to get back in the will of God and engage with the spiritual work that the office of the prophet had to do in the land. Nobody could anoint a king but the prophet. Nobody could appoint him in the leadership but the prophet. And if Samuel is going to be back in the will of God, doing the ministry that God called him to, he got to obey him spiritually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Amen. Can I say some more? Prepare your mind to do the work of the Lord, he says. Then prepare yourself for a journey. What you mean, Pastor? You got to go down to Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. And notice this. I wrote myself a note here. I keep coming back to this because I've been just arrested by it. Samuel had to shake off his mourning because his mourning was getting the best of him. In other words, he had to get a grip on his mind and now ready himself to do only what he could do as the prophet, the priest, and the judge of Israel. Samuel had to prepare to go and discover what the Lord needed him to discover. He was to go to the house of Bethlehem, to the house of Jesse, and look for the Lord's king. Can I turn the light on? He wasn't looking for the people's king. That was with Saul. But God said, I'm going to make myself a king. Mm. This king ain't got nothing to do with what Israel was looking for. If y'all go back with me, those Bible students here, remember, they rejected uh, Samuel as a judge because they wanted a king like the rest of the nation. They wanted somebody tall, dark, and handsome. And God said, okay, I'm going to get y'all saw. And when they found him, he was hiding in the cell. Y'all in here? But God says, I got it on my own king now. I know what my people need. And I'm going to give them the king for my heart. 
So, so here, Samuel is to get up, go down to Bethlehem and look for the Lord's king. I wrote myself a note here, Sister Wilson. He wasn't to go into the palace and look for a king. He wasn't to go into all the tribes. He was to go to the least of them. To the smallest city of Israel. And he was to look for the one that had all God had already chosen for himself. But this ain't easy. Deacon Lord, this was no, no small task. No, this was no small thing because it was on the Lord's heart. Can I say some more? Ministry is on the Lord's heart. It's what the Lord wants done. And when you, this is how you know when you've been called, shown up to ministry, it's bigger than you. It's harder than anything you've ever done. And you can't do it without him. There's some stuff you can do on your own strength and you don't need God to do. But when God showed up, gives you an assignment, it's bigger than you. Can I say some more? Samuel, he was going to be in the will of God. He was going to have to uh, obey God in every area of his life. This is, this is crazy right here, but a new king meant that the removal of the kings had already taken place. And so he had to obey God in this assignment and ordain the one that God had all called to serve him and the people of Israel, even though he didn't know who he was. Let me unpack some more of it. Because today, daughter Lokalani, I think God may be calling somebody to change kings. Today he may want you to remove somebody who's on the throne of your heart. Today he may want you to put a new king on the throne of your heart. Today he may want you to let go of the bad king and put the one he has ordained yeah, yeah. to be over every area in your life. Can I say some more? When Samuel hears this, guess what he does? He questions his assignment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now don't get mad at Samuel. <laughs> You've been there. Yeah. Listen to what Samuel tells the sovereign God of the universe. How can I know? If Saul hears it, he's going to kill me. Now you and I, 21st century readers, we're like, what are you tripping up for? This is Yahweh talking to you. You ain't got no, no worries with Saul, but in his day, the king was the king. Right. Yeah, yeah. He was the sovereign ruler over the nation. Yeah. And he understood that if he got caught in the region ordaining a new king, while the pseudo king was still on the throne in position, it could cause treason. So what happened in his ministry assignment, Saul now takes on fear. And doing the thing that God has called him to do. I'm trying to put my weight on it, y'all. Look, fear is a monster. Fear will keep you from obeying the word of the Lord. Fear will keep you in prison and not accomplishing that which God has called you to do. Because you are too worried 
about the kings of the world. Yeah, yeah. Instead of what God has called you to do. But I ain't mad at him. Samuel had a legitimate fear. Yeah, yeah. He had a legitimate case. He had a legitimate reason to be concerned. Can I tell you why? Brother's life was on the line. His welfare was at stake. His health and safety was in jeopardy. Because if the former king catches him, it's a wrap for his ministry. Tell somebody, you can't preach dead. Somebody looking at me today, God has called you maybe to study, maybe to do something great, maybe to go to another country, maybe to do something astronomical, but fear has you in a headlock. Fear of what am I going to eat? Fear of where am I going to stay? Fear of who's going to take care of my babies? How are my kids going to get to school? Fear, 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 fear has you headlocked and you are afraid. It was dangerous what God was calling him to do. Can I park the car and waddle right there for a minute? You know, you know that ministry today is dangerous? No, you don't know that. Ministry today can call for your life. They're shooting pastors in pulpits because they've been called by God to preach the gospel. They're coming in churches and shooting parishioners because they love the Lord. With every area of their life. Ministry is dangerous. And Samuel knew that Saul was crazy. But can I tell you something? Yes. That is true. It's true. The threats. Like Saul's threat. Or like Samuel's threat of Saul. It's also true for you. See. When those former kings in your life. Get the word that you want to unseat them, they just might come after you. I ain't got no help in here. Let me come down the road. It's true that when that former crazy girlfriend find out you got a new one, she might do something crazy to try to kill you. Y'all ain't in here. When that former husband finds out you got a new husband, he might lose it and try to hurt you and the new one. When we look at Saul, you're going to see in a few weeks, he's going to get crazy. The old king going to try to take out the new king in a desperate attempt to destroy his life because God has called him to a new ministry. It's a living word. I stopped by to tell you today, family, that trouble, it comes with the ministry. No, you can't be a sissy and be a Christian. Can't be a punk and be a believer. Can't be a coward and walk with Jesus. Cowards don't need God. Are you with me here? No, true believers need God. Because this means that your life is on the line. You want something to live and die for? Man up and become a Christian. You need to know today that trouble.
of those who are on a mission with God. You got to face your haters. And you got to deal with the wrath of the ungodly. Because it comes with Christianity. I want y'all to quit cowering down. Because the world is against you. Quit trying to be carnal and fit in. Because you are afraid. Just face fear head on. Can I put my weight on it? Faith and fear are mutually exclusive. The two don't go together. They like oil and water. I can't say I believe and then I'm afraid. You got to choose up in here what you going to do. You going to believe or you going to be afraid. Where my soldiers at? Where my soldiers at? Listen, young people in here, don't be afraid of the world. They supposed to shoot at you. They supposed to talk about you. They supposed to size you up. They supposed to question your walk and your integrity. That comes with the hood that you represent. In my neighborhood, Christians always get shot. In my neighborhood, Christians always get falsely accused. In my neighborhood, Christians always get jacked because of the cross that we carry. But I found out something in my 51 years of living. The more they talk about me, the crazier I get for him. The more they lie on me, the bolder I get with my witness. The more they talk about me, the crazier my sermons get. The more they rise up, the taller I stand. Can I get some help in here? Tell somebody, dress up for the battle. Because it's real. That was point number one. Samuel's assignment. Come on. Ask your neighbor, did you get any of that? Did you get any of that? Let me look at Samuel's divine action. The text says that the Lord told Samuel, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And then invite Jesse, Samuel, to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. Can I work a little right here? When we arrive at this next portion of the text, we see Samuel called to action. Called to action according, watch this now, to the Lord's command. God told him, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a heifer, a small cow, a, a sacrifice. And then as you're going down, I want you to tell Jesse and tell the people you've come to worship. Y'all yeah. see that? Yeah. You should circle that. I want you to invite him and his family uh -huh. to worship. Uh 
Don't go down and tell them right away I'm looking for a king. Right, right. Call them to worship. Because I want to examine them in worship. Can I work right here? He says, and when you do this for Dave, he said, I'm going to give you the rest of the instruction. Here's what I noticed. This ain't in my note. But God, whenever God calls you to ministry and calls you to action, he never gives you the full plan. No, he don't. Yes, sir. Am I right, bro? He shows you a little, tells you what he wants you to do, but you got to do that first before you get the rest of the instruction. This ain't in my notes, but some of y'all stuck because you ain't did the first thing. Here we see what I call as a unique action for Samuel. He was first to go down, watch this now, and organize the worship service. And in the worship service, he was to offer the Lord an offering of sacrifice. The sacrifice, Tom, is to say that the Lord, or to say rather, thank you to the Lord for all that the Lord has done is doing and is about to do. Can I say some more? This sacrifice, Reverend White, is to watch this, is to be brought by the priest. Huh? Sacrificed by the priest and offered by the priest on behalf of Jesse and the tribe that he's from. That's a reversal in the sacrificial process. The priest never had to bring a sacrifice to the worship experience.
Come on, don't fool me now. Is he worthy of all your praise? Hallelujah. Grace and joy to you, family. Happy New Year, BBC. He did it one more time. And according to the statutes and records of grace, we've been doing it now a little over seven years. All right. About eight years. Amen. We ought to praise God right here. Hallelujah. Baptist churches all across North America usually have conferences that are citywide in metropolitan areas where pastors and congregations gather for formation and worship. And Fresno was put on the map all right. some eight years ago. Right. Look at your neighbor and tell them how they like us now. So grateful tonight for the angel of this house and our founder. One more time, praise God for Dr. Richard Daniels. The Godfather, amen. What a vision the Lord gave you that he came to us with. And this is great fruit on your record in heaven, Elder. Thank you so much. To my president in his absence, Bishop Dickinson, who was out of the city preaching today. Lord bless him in his ministry. Let's give it up for Bishop and the great two years. Great work, great work, great work, great work. Great work, great work, great work, great work. Amidst trial and tribulation, he was able to stay the course and kept us going and kept us afloat and I want to just say thank you to all of the senior pastors, amen, in the city who stayed committed and gave and, and supported and prayed. And all of you, the churches that came out to events, you keep this thing alive. I say you keep this thing alive. You keep your pastors encouraged. I say you keep the men of God encouraged. And I just want to tell you, thank you for loving your pastor. In fact, can I take a commercial break right here? If you love your pastor, why don't you stand on your feet and show him tonight? Show your pastor you love him tonight. Pastors Conference. The joke is, I did it one time and I quit halfway through. It ain't no joke, it's true, amen. I called Lewis and said, I can't do this, man. I'm telling the truth. I called a meeting, a good Baptist meeting, real quick, man. And I stepped down and passed it around. Amen. Y'all right. laughing, but some of y'all didn't get that. 
<laughs> Dr. Lewis stepped up and took that thing and ran it all the way through. Amen. But eyes ready now. <laughs> for the season that's upon us. Amen. Our country is in dire straits. Yes, sir. Never in the history of the Church of Jesus Christ has humanity been so wicked. Amen. And I think God is calling the Baptist Pastors Conference to lead the nation in Christian education, Christian formation, and expository teaching and preaching. There's a mantle of unrest on my chest. And I feel like God wants us to do something. Right. Yeah, yeah. And he wants it to come out of Fresno. Right. Can I get some help in here? Three yeah. quick initiatives for our campaign and uh, the, the cabinet for this year. Would you please stand when I call your name? Dr. Lawrence Chisholm. Yeah. Yeah. Vice President. Dr. Jones, Secretary Treasurer. Bishop Dickerson, the Dean, Dr. Terry Baker, historian and parliamentarian. Come on, let's give them a hand as they stand. They will help us to formulate a wonderful plan, a course of action over the course of these next two years. One new initiative that we have is we meet every Monday, first Monday of the month as pastors and associates to, to train and to study God's word, but also to, to handle heavy matters right. that are happening in the community and to talk about global things in order to make a change. Amen. On this Monday, these Mondays that we will meet this year, we want to have an open chapel that will begin at 7 p.m. because that's our preaching hour. All right. And we thought instead of just keeping it closed, we would open it up to you, the churches to come and join us the first Monday of every month at 7 p.m. for preaching and spiritual formation. Right. These events will happen at the New Beginnings Church, and you are more than welcome. This is our first initiative. Let's praise God right there. Yeah. Our second initiative is to always be mindful that we are Baptists in our DNA. And one of the things we all cherish and remember when we were coming up in the older church is we had a training union that was called BTU. So every fifth Sunday night service now, we're going back to a BTU format. And in the newly formed BTU, there will be several tracks of ministry equipment. There will be a pastor's track. There will be a layman's track. There will be a first lady's track. There will be a youth track. And then there will be a track for all those who are interested in learning how to do ministry and missions in a brand new world. We are no longer an eight-track generation. Am I talking to you? We live in a digital world now. So tell somebody we got to change our game in 2016. The Baptist Pastors Conference is strategically set in place to encourage pastors and equip them for the work of the ministry. But we have not forgotten our churches. Our focus is still on the pastor. But we want to encourage his congregation to be equipped for the work of the ministry. 
And then the third initiative that has come our way is we still will have our summer revival that will happen in August and our Shepherds Bible Conference that will happen in the month of June. So we're excited about these initiatives. You can uh, find them, uh, you'll find them pretty soon here in your pastor's calendars and be able to be aware of where each meeting is taking place and how you can come and worship, prayer, and pray and be a part of this. Amen. The last Amen. thing is not an initiative, but it is a presidential invitation. All right. Because I have the privilege to serve at Fresno Pacific University, a lot of church-related business that comes through California lands on my desk. All right. So I have the privilege of being the pastor to all of the faculty, to all of the administration, and the 3,800 students. Right. And the alumni that serve throughout Fresno and the world from Fresno Pacific. Right. Churches in Fresno have been meeting in clusters for about two years now, pastors. North side of Shaw, there's a bunch of pastors and churches there. They started an initiative a little over a year and a half ago, praying and fasting in the first month of January. And they committed themselves last year to pray for rain. And God heard their prayers. Can I get a witness in here? So from January 15th to January 31st, they've come to our, our office and they've said, how can the Baptist Pastors Conference help us to lift the banner of the kingdom in Fresno. Uh -huh. Do you think the pastors and the congregations uh -huh. would be interested in praying at the campus of Fresno Pacific University? Uh -huh. I said, I don't know, I'll take it to the brothers, but I know they pray, uh -huh. and I know they love Jesus, All right. and it's about time for y'all over there on that side uh -huh. to quit thinking y'all the only one in the city that know Jesus. All right, that's right. Reconciliation got to start in the house of God before it starts anywhere else. That's right. So on the 31st at 6 o'clock at Fresno Pacific University, we're going to join together with about 300 other churches to pray for our city, to pray for our state, and to pray for the work of God in our country. It's an invitation from your president to you to come join us. Amen. Hello, is this thing on? To come join us as we lift up the name of Jesus. One church, one faith, one baptism. Come on in here now. Do I got any witnesses in here? Anybody want to see drug trafficking stop in your city? Anybody want to stop gang violence in the city? Anybody want to stop human trafficking in the city? Anybody want to bring an end to the racial divide in our city? Then I want to call you to do something about it. I want to call you to put your weight on it. Come on and join us and let's pray together. Hard to talk about people you pray with. Hard to be separated when you're praying together. The first step is prayer, amen? By this, will all men know you are my disciples if you have love, show enough love, one for another. Are you excited this year? Then come on, help me praise the Lord. Would you stand on your feet with me as we take our text? It's preaching time. Amen.
If you have your Bibles, if you'll open them with me, please, to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. There's a powerful word written therein. I want to thank the diaconate ministry for being present tonight, all the ushers, the wonderful work of the music ministry, all the associates. Good to see you and all of you, God's faithful children. Yes, amen. Sister Wilson is in the house, my beautiful queen. I love you, mama. Amen. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20. If you haven't, say, I got it, Reverend. I got it, Reverend. So Ahab, he sent for all the children of Israel, and he gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. Not one word. And then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. Yeah. But Baal's prophets are 450 oh, men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls. Uh, and let them choose one bull for themselves. Uh, cut it in pieces. Yeah. Lay it on the wood. Uh, but put no fire on it. And then I'll prepare the other bull. Yeah. I'll lay it on the wood. Well, well. But I won't put no fire under it. Uh -huh. And then you call on the name of your God. Yeah. And I'll call on the name of the Lord. Yeah. And the God who answers by fire, yeah. he is God. Yeah. So all people answered and said, yeah. it is well spoken. Yeah. Let the church say amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor tonight and tell neighbor. Neighbor. Oh, neighbor. Oh, neighbor. My president. My president. Wants to talk to you about. Wants to talk to you about. God's desire. God's desire. For another Elijah. For another Elijah. All right. Maybe God's desire. For another Elijah. Family. There's no secret that our world is really with false gods. Yes, sir, Yeah. It's no secret that our world is really with the need for the evidence for the true and the living God. Yes. The culture in which we live is conflicted and torn between opinions about true. And all-knowing and omnipresent Yahweh. Yeah, yeah. So much so that clarity is needed. Yeah. And it must clarity, be given right? in this new ministry era of 2016. Yeah, yeah. I'm convinced tonight that what we need more now, what we need now, rather more than ever, is for the voice of the church. To be clear, yeah. courageous, yeah. convincing, uh -huh. consistent, yeah. and countercultural yeah. yeah. to the pseudo teachings yeah. about who the world says uh -huh. God is. All right. Yes, sir, yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
Amen. We need modern day Elijahs that are willing to stand against the tide and the onslaught of wicked systems, wicked rulers, evil thinkers, wicked practices, and call God's people back to an intimate relationship with the God of heaven and earth. All right. Can I put my weight on it tonight? Our text today has Elijah at the place where God can use him as a leader in a weary land. See, there's a famine in Samaria, and it's a spiritual famine. There's been a severe drought of resources. Okay. Because it hasn't rained in over three years. Yeah. Right. Why? Because of the calamity from the hand of God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The people have turned their back on Yahweh, and as a result, they began to worship strange and foreign gods. Yeah. And Elijah has been used by God Preach, to summon the people, challenge the culture, and stand in the gap. And proclaim the word yeah. Yeah. in yeah. difficult times. Yes, what we need today in our world are more Elijah. Yeah. Yes, sir. Believers with a zeal. Yeah. Believers with a desire to obey. Yeah. Believers with a heart to serve. Yeah. Believers with faith that believes yeah. against all odds. Yeah. Yeah. Our text today reveals. Key characteristics in the life of the prophet. All right. Characteristics which are applicable for every believer in this new year. And for us to have a winning ministry in 2016. Yes, sir. Y'all gonna help me tonight? I got four points I wanna argue tonight. Number one, I wanna argue for the conviction of Elijah. Number two, I want to argue for the challenge from Elijah. Number three, I want to argue for the critique of Elijah. And then number four, I want to close with this here, the confidence of Elijah. Y'all want to let me work tonight? Come on, work with me. When we look at verse 20, we find these familiar words. So Ahab... Sent for all the children of Israel, yeah. and he gathered the false prophets together at Mount Carmel. Yeah. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will y'all falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. So Elijah said to the people, I alone am left. That's a prophet of the Lord. Uh, yeah. But Bill's prophets are 450 men. Yes, Let me unpack this thing. Yes, sir. When we come to Help this portion of the text, we see that Elijah speaks to the people yeah. with a conviction uh-huh. about who God is yeah. and whose side he's on. Yeah. 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 He raises a question, Daniels, to the people who once followed God, but now have turned to worship a pseudo-God named Baal. He asked them, how long will y'all flip-flop? 
between what you say you believe and who you claim to serve. Yes, sir. Make up your mind is what Elijah is saying. Notice this. Elijah isn't afraid of the culture or the crowd. He has a conviction about what he believes and why he believes. Yes, sir. Some help in here. Elijah isn't concerned about what they think about him because he's on the Lord's side. Right. That's right, brother. Uh, yeah. And he says, I am left alone as the only prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450. When he says this, he reveals, watch this now, that he's a single-minded messenger with a mindset that can't be shaken, that can't be moved, or can't be misunderstood. You're going to know what he's about when he walk in the room. All right. Yes, sir. He is clearly against 450 right. false teachers. Right. Oh, heck, he's a one-man army. All right. Yeah. And we can learn from this text that a believer with conviction yeah. always stands against the culture. Right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, Reverend. They're not going to flip-flop on the issue of homosexuality. That's right. That's right. That's right. They ain't flip-flopping on the issue of abortion. All right. They ain't flip-flopping on the issue of murder. Yes, yeah, sir. yeah. They gonna tell you that black lives still matter. Yes, sir. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Am I talking to you? A believer with conviction always stands out and identifies whose side they on. A believer with conviction will always challenge others to make a decision about what they believe yes, sir. about God. That's right, Can I tell you tonight, brothers and sisters, if our culture is going to be changed, it's going to be changed because the church stood up All right. with conviction yes, against the culture. If our culture is going to be changed, it's going to be changed because the church stood against a tide of wicked thinking. All right. If our churches are going to be changed, it's going to be because the church stood against popular ideas and called people to obey the word of the Lord instead of the gods of the culture. Elijah had conviction. Elijah had conviction. Wow. No offering was going to change his perspective. Right, right. No political office was going to persuade him That's right, to brother. go against the word of the Lord. Right. But second of all, not only do we see the, the conviction of Elijah, but we see the challenge from Elijah. Yeah. Look at verse 23. The Bible says that therefore, I see you now. Elijah said, let them give us two bulls. Yeah. Let them choose one bull. Yeah. Take it for themselves, uh, cut it in pieces, yeah. and lay it on the altar. Mm -hmm. But don't put no fire on it. Uh, he says, and then I'll take the other bull, uh -huh. and I'll cut it up, put it on the altar, and I won't put no fire under mine. Yeah. And then you call on the name of your God, yeah. and I'll call on the name of Yahweh. Yeah. And the God who answers by fire, he going to be God. Y'all yeah. hear the challenge right there? Yeah. Challenging 450 oh false prophets and teachers. One man who's 
challenging the whole nation. Yeah. One, man One man going against the government authority. Yeah. One, man One man standing by himself yeah. with convictions yeah. in his heart about who God is and what time it is. What time it is. Yeah, say some more. When you land at this text, you see that Elijah, yeah, the man of God yeah. not only issues the challenge, but he issues it to two classes of people. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. He issues it to the false prophets yeah. and to the people who used to be. They used to be worshipers of Yahweh, but they switched gods to Baal. Just for the prophets of Baal. It's for the used to be. All right. Can I tell you, you ought to have a sermon every now and then for the used to be. All right. Our believers, 
I will challenge the gods of self-pleasure. Yeah. In our world today, what we need is believers Believe. that will challenge the gods of hip-hop. All right. Yes, sir. In our world today, we need believers yes, sir. that will challenge the gods of the Kardashians. All right. In our world today, what we need are believers that will challenge the gods of academia. A satanic worldview. We need believers that arise up against pagan religions and declare who Yahweh is. Time out, y'all, for being man be pansy Christian. Yes, sir. Time out for saying one thing and doing something else. Are you listening in here? We need believers that will run to the public square and declare. What time it is. We need believers that are willing to test the gods of the culture because you know who the true and the living God is. Yeah. Am I making sense here? Yeah. Yes, sir. Elijah had convictions yeah. and Elijah had a challenge. Well, let me argue about the critique of Elijah. The text says in verse 26 that Elijah went ahead and let them set their altar in place. They cut the bull up, yeah. prepared it, yeah. and called on the name of Baal. The text says that they started in the morning, yeah. and they went all the way to noon. Show up, and they said, oh, Baal, yeah. hear us. But there was no voice. Baal didn't have no ears to hear. Then the Bible says that they leaped about the altar yeah, right there. that they made. Yeah. Yes, they sir. Went on until it was late afternoon. And Elijah saw they weren't making no headway. All right. So the preacher mocked them. Yes, he did. He was a Baptist preacher. Elijah said, Maybe you ought to cry a little louder. He is a God, ain't he? Either he's meditating. Or he's busy, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's sleeping and needs to be awakened. You hear the preacher talking to him? The Bible said in verse 28, so they cried a little loud. Yes, sir. They did their best, as was their custom. Then they took out knives and started cutting themselves. And blood gushed out all over them. And it was past midday. Uh -huh. And they prophesied until the offering of the evening sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but there was no voice. Uh -huh. My God. No one answered. Uh -huh. And no one paid attention. Yeah. Can I work right here for you? Yeah. Well, we discover in this text that it was their chance to show all of Israel that Baal was real. All right that the false prophets began their religious activity yeah. with great pomp and circumstance. Yeah. 450 men. My goodness. Come on in here. I want you to see this. 450 men yeah. praying and screaming yeah. to a God that don't exist. Uh -huh. 450 men uh -huh. jumping around an altar, bleeding all over the place. Bleeding, and no fire has fallen. Yeah. Right. 450 men yeah. with passion about what they believe, yeah. but have no results for what they're praying for. Yeah, yeah. 450 men uh -huh. 
in our culture. Uh -huh. Amen. They passionate yeah. about Islam. Yeah. And Allah ain't real. Amen. They passionate about Mormonism. Uh -huh. But Joseph Smith been dead a long time. Amen. They passionate about being a Jehovah's Witness. Yeah. But they Jehovah don't exist. Yeah. 
that their solutions to global and social and economic problems are not God's solutions. Last time I checked, God don't use the airways to talk to his people. He used the word. He used Elijah. See, they are right behind Yes, sir, Reverend. We need some modern day Elijahs. That'll right. stand against the intelligentsia of the day. Uh, yeah. The mm-hmm. yeah. And remind them that their knowledge wow. is not God's knowledge. Yeah. Right All knowledge is not God's knowledge. Yeah. Right. Especially right. when it's against God. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Right, Reverend. I know I work in a Christian institution and sometimes I wonder how these people lost their mind. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> They don't talk from the book, they talk about the book yeah. and all around the book. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Come on in here and talk to me. Yeah. We need some Elijahs yeah. that won't be afraid to stand up and open the word of God and say, Thus says the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, brother. We got to be willing, y'all. That's all I'm trying to say. To critique their methods. Yeah. We gotta be willing to critique their madness. Uh, we yeah. gotta be willing to critique their behavior uh, yeah. and challenge their foolishness yeah. so that their folly will reveal to them, there it is, that their God is not God. Uh-huh. Did y'all catch that last sentence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The proper reason for our critique is, is that their God. eyes might come open. Yes, right. That they might see yeah. they're worshiping the wrong God. Uh-huh. Elijah's conviction. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. I've argued, Dr. Harris, about Elijah's challenge. Yes, sir. I've tried to look at Elijah's critique. Yeah. Well, let me close by talking about Elijah's confidence. All right. Come on, preacher. When we look at verse 30 and we get ready to land the plane, the Bible says that Elijah said to all the people after they watched the prophets of Baal, Yeah. Y'all come near to me. That's what it says. So all the people came near to him. And watch this. The Bible says he repaired Repaired. the altar of the Lord. Yes, sir. That had been broken down. Y'all in here? And he took 12 stones. Yeah. Yeah. According to the number of the tribes yeah. of Israel, yeah. Yeah. the sons of Jacob. Yeah. And he said, yeah, with those stones he built an altar to the name of the Lord. Yeah. In the name of the Lord. Yeah. And then he said, dig a trench all around. All this, around this uh-huh. altar. Yeah. And then he said, I want y'all to cut the wood and put it in order. Yeah. Cut the wood and put it on top of the pieces. Uh-huh. And then he said, I want y'all to go and get Four water pots. Yes, sir. And these water pots is the size of a man. Right, right. right. I want you to fill the water pots with water. Uh And then I want you to pour it out on the altar. How many? Four. So they took four pots and they poured it out and drenched the altar. He said, now go back and do it again. They got four more. Right, right. Yeah. all four there one more time. Then he said, go back and get four more. And dump it one more time. I didn't see this before, but I found out he took 12 pots to twist the altar. One for every tribe. One for every tribe. Yes, sir. 
That's good. Elijah wasn't just going to expose the prophets of Baal. Right, right. He was rebuilding the altars of revival. Yes. All right. Yes. Right. Back in Israel. Because they had walked away from God. Yeah. And they needed to see every tribe. Yeah. The God you walked away from yeah. is still on the throne. Yeah. All right. That's yes, right. Exposing them, notice what he does first. Come on. He rebuilds the altar uh -huh. where the families used to be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He rebuilds the altar where the daddies used to pray over their kids. Yeah. He rebuilds the altar where the moms used to train their daughters. He rebuilds the altar where the priests would provide the covenant for the children of God. And then he went to building on the altar. All right. I argue for some rebuilding tonight. If the church of Jesus Christ is going to come back to the church of all, we got to rebuild the altars. All right. We got to rebuild the place where daddies used to pray over their children. Where preachers used to meet with whole families. Where the house of God became the place of God. The text says he rebuilt the altar. Then he summons for the water. I like this right here because, yes, it looked impossible for a fire now to be ignited. It looked impossible for anything to happen on that day. But A.D. Wilson commenting on the text says in his own dramatic way that Elijah knew he was getting ready to show off for Yahweh. He knew that the fire that came from heaven wouldn't have no problem with a little water. He knew that God, yes, had a plan for Israel because he had Elijah in the house. Here it is. Elijah had confidence. In a remarkable God who could do incredible things. Can I put my weight on it? Elijah was just going to stand in the gap because God has stood in the gap for him. Can I say some more? Elijah was going to make sure they knew who God was because he was sure who God was. Can I say some more? He was hungry down by a brook and God fed him for three years with a few little ravens. So he was confident in who God was. He gave him a little widow woman who had a still bit of flour in her back. Fed the preacher and she lasted a long time. He was confident that God could provide. Can I say some more? A little boy dropped dead, was dead in the bed. Elijah came to the upper chamber laid on the boy and prayed for him. God brought him back to life. He was confident in who God was. And when you get confident in God, you'll tell him to do some crazy things just so people who ain't confident can get confident. I'm trying to get out this thing. But can I tell you some more? I like this right here. The Bible says that after they dress the altar, after they let down, yeah, 
woman. Elijah had a little talk with Jesus. You hear me? I'm in the Bible. Verse 36 says, And it came to pass at the time of the evening offering that Elijah the prophet called on the Lord. Listen to what he said, Brother Deacons. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He called on him from history. Called on him from memory. He said, Let it be known this day that there's a God in Israel. And let it be known that I'm your servant and that I've done all these things according to your word. Then he got happy. Hear me, Lord. Hear me in this thing that these people may know that you are the Lord God and that you turn their hearts back to you again. Well, that's what having a little talk with Jesus will do for you in a tough situation. I got to leave you now, but the Bible says that the fire, it fell down. And watch this, y'all. It consumed the burnt sacrifice, burned up the wood, burned up the stone, and then licked up the water all around the trenches. Now, I know fire burns, but I ain't never heard of fire licking. That's some holy fire. Are you in here now? The Bible says that when it did that, the people cried out, The Lord! He God. And then can I tell you something interesting? And I promise I'm through. Elijah said, Catch the prophets of Baal. All 450 of them. And take them down to the river Kishon. Because we're getting ready to execute them. Now you didn't know preachers were killers, did you? But let me tell you, it's biblical to kill a false witness. It's biblical. Kill somebody who's against your God. As long as you kill them with kindness. Kill them according to the word of God. The Levitical law gave Elijah permission to execute them because they have blasphemed the name of Yahweh. Well, I got to leave you now, but I'm glad tonight that I've seen the confidence of Elijah. I'm glad tonight that I've seen the confidence in the children of God. I'm glad tonight that I've seen, yeah, God do some things that only God can do. And as I close tonight, I want you to know that my God is still in the miracle business. Oh yeah, Jesus was a type of Elijah. He had great conviction. He also had a great critique on the culture. And he also issued challenges to the Pharisaical community. Jesus was confident in who the Father was. I heard him say, no man takes my life, but I lay it down. And if I, if I, 
back it up again. Look at Jesus with confidence on his way to Golgotha. They're laughing at him. They're spitting on him. They're cursing him, but his confidence is intact. They stoned him and whipped him all night long, but his confidence is intact. Look at Jesus on the city outside of Jerusalem. He's got nails in his hand. He's got a spear in his side. A crown of thorns on his head, but he dies with confidence. I heard him say in all confidential matters, Father, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. He died, didn't he die? Died with all confidence. They took the body down and they placed him in a borrowed tomb. And early Sunday morning, I said early Sunday morning, early Sunday morning with confidence. He got up with all power of heaven and earth in his hands. We was looking for a modern day Elijah, but he's already came and he's sitting right now at the right hand of the Father, still there with confidence. I'm closing now, but with confidence, he called the disciples and said, go into the world and make disciples. With confidence, he said, I won't leave you comfortless. I'll send you my spirit and he'll remind you of all that I said. With confidence, he gave gifts to me and placed us in local churches. With confidence, he gave us the word that's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I quit right here, but I'm glad tonight. I got confidence in the God of heaven and earth. I don't have confidence in world rulers. In the so-called dollar, don't have confidence in a shaky economy. Don't have confidence in my own fleshly wisdom. But if there is one thing that I trust in, I trust in the Lord. He heard my cry and pitied every groan. Is there anybody here got confidence tonight? Is there anybody here willing to trust the Lord through some up and down? Is there anybody here know that God will make a way out of nowhere? Can I get a witness right there? I said, can I get a witness right there? Troubled water, surely 
in the midst of a storm. Do you know he's all right? Has he ever did it for you? Shake somebody's hand. Tell them, neighbor, you can trust him. Because I know he's all right.
Good job, buddy. Good Thank job. You, Great message. God bless you. Yeah. God bless you.